Welcome to Oak Creek Christian Center's podcast. Our message today was recently recorded from our Sunday morning worship service. Stay tuned after the message for more information about Oak Creek Christian Center. And now, lead pastor, Kelly DeFore. Well, we've been in a series called Home Words, and we've been talking about words that transform our homes. And how many know that there are times that our homes just need an extreme makeover? Uh, the Extreme Makeover Home Edition, right? We need that at times in our own families. Uh, even if your family has already left the nest, you still feel the need to have influence in family. And one of the things that we discovered is that hope is one of the greatest needs for all families. And we as Christians really are called to be hope bearers. But hope is so critical. So if you missed last week's foundational word of hope, I'd encourage you to go online, listen to that message, or, or follow us on iTunes as a podcast. You can go through there as well. encourage you to listen to that because we do need hope for our families. It starts there. That is the bedrock of, of home words that help us to transform our homes. Well, in uh, August 17, 1896, a lady named Bridget Briscoll had died, and the coroner who was attending her death had commented how he hopes to never see this kind of death again. What was the death? It was death, the first death, by an automobile. As, as hopeful yet as naive as that medical coroner was, the combination of mankind and machinery ultimately will continue to bring death, pain, and struggles. It's a combination that continues to have that kind of impact today. Well, the reality is there's also a combination that is bound to bring pain and hurt to our families. We've already talked about it a little bit, but it is this issue of family life. When you live in close proximity to people, pain is going to be inevitable. Suffering is going to be inevitable. Therefore, unforgiveness is going to be something that we will deal with as families or the sense of needing to forgive because most of us have caused or we have received relational injuries we haven't done it intentionally we we don't mean to be that way but human beings guess what we're just messy and we're hurtful at times we've all experienced that so in addition to hope which we really need is the foundation i want to introduce the first of three healing words for your family because some of you are going kelly our family needs healing So here's the first of three healing words before we get to our building words, which will help build the the strength of your family. And then finally, we're going to end with that one transformational word. But the first of our building words is forgiveness. If you're taking notes, you can use the back of your bulletin to fill in some blanks, or you can use your smart device, your iPhone, iPad, iWhatever, and uh, you can follow along using the Bible app, and information is on the screen for how you can do that. Uh, If you need help, by the way, ever finding the Bible app or getting the right one, I'd love to guide you through that, okay? So just come and see me or see Pastor Stephen. He is like super techie, right, Krista? Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, Or or just see one of us, and we'll help guide you through how to install and use that app. But it is a great way to interact with the message notes and have the scripture text as well. So if you're wondering how to heal the past and get moving forward with momentum for your family, the answer is without a doubt forgiveness. And when I talk about forgiveness, let me just tell you what's going to happen. You're going to have a wall that goes up. Because there's something about forgiveness, especially by those who have hurt us the most, that makes us want to resist this kind of a message. 
So can I, can I just pray for you for a moment to have an open heart to receive this? Because forgiveness is so powerful. You've appreciated the forgiveness you experienced from God. And that paying forward to your family is so powerful. So let's pray. Father, this morning, we know you're a God who forgives. And we've been the, the, the beneficiaries of that grace and forgiveness. And Father, as we talk about forgiveness in our relationships, forgiveness in our homes, God, I just pray for open hearts. I know in discussing this that there may be hurt that comes to mind of those who have been hurt by family. And I just pray your protective covering over that. And God, I pray that in this place, forgiveness would be received and extended. And in so doing, hope will continue to abound in our homes. So open our hearts to your word today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's an introductory thought that I want you to, to really chew on as a family and figure out how practically you might do this in your home because I'll give you some pointers today. But here's, here's the, the kind of the, the opening thought. Every family needs to create a culture of forgiveness in your home. A culture of forgiveness. If you were to define to me what the culture of your home life is, would forgiveness be one of the core values of your home? So I want to challenge us all in this opening thought that we need to create a culture of forgiveness in our homes. Or if you don't have kids in your home or you're not in a relationship and you're living alone but you still have extended family, how are you going to help create that culture in your extended family? Because you know what it's like to get together for holidays with families that you're at odds with and you know what the culture feels like. It feels tense. The atmosphere is thick. But how can we transform that? A key ingredient to helping this is extending forgiveness in our homes, and we're going to kind of break that down. But the problem with forgiveness is it's very easy to talk about, but very hard to apply. It's easier said than done, isn't it? But God has uh, given us a mandate really to forgive it because God knows the incredible healing that comes with that. In fact, just think about what Jesus said about forgiveness. Here, just kind of quickly, I want to throw some verses on the screen. I believe these are in your notes, and if not, you can jot them down. But Mark eleven twenty five, the words of Jesus, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Luke six thirty seven, Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Matthew six twelve. this is from the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. That key word debtors is going to come back to us again as part of the definition and part of the understanding about what forgiveness really is all about. And where would you be if the Lord chose to forgive you as you forgive others? You look at those verses and notice there's this, this forgive as or in the same manner as you have been forgiven. So if that's the case, how do you stand in the Lord's forgiveness if you've been harboring unforgiveness in your heart? You see how powerful Jesus is describing this key of forgiveness. My Father has forgiven you in just the same way you need to pay this forward. The Father forgave us with no conditions. How are we doing that in paying that forgiveness forward? But he didn't just talk about forgiveness, did Jesus? No, what did he do? He modeled it. He forgave the woman caught in adultery. And that was a, a mouth-dropping event for the Pharisees of the day. How dare he forgive this adulterous woman? But he forgave. 
He hung upon the cross. And what were the final words coming from Jesus' mouth? There are a few words recorded in the Gospels. One of those is what? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It wasn't, Father, forgive them if they come begging for mercy. No. Forgive them. What they're doing right now, they don't understand. So forgive them. Even in the midst of his pain and his agony on the cross, Jesus is giving forgiveness. So as followers of Christ, we should be all about forgiveness. As homes that say we want to be homes that honor God and honor Christ, our homes should be all about forgiveness. And trust me, your home life will give you plenty of opportunity to forgive. In fact, some of you, you've already done that. You've already been there. You've went in that process where you've forgiven family, and you've found the benefit of what, that, of what happens when that takes place. But in our home, guess what? There's going to be broken promises. There's going to be broken commitments. There's going to be hurtful words spoken in your home in times of anger and frustration. There is going to be selfish actions that have no regard for other members of the family that will cause harm within your home. There's going to be dishonoring attitudes in your home. And the list can go on of things that will happen when you live in close proximity to people. It's inevitable that there will be an opportunity to be offended. So, in fact, so much of the anger and the strife that you feel and that exists in your family is rooted in, in our inability to forgive. So what is forgiveness? You know, sometimes we can look at the, the word itself and find a simple definition because the word forgive, there's two words, it's a compound word, two of those different words. The word for in its root means completely, okay, completely. And give is pretty self-explanatory, right? I think we all know what give means. And so when you put these words together, it's this idea of completely giving it, not holding anything back. It is to release. It is to give it up freely and wholeheartedly. It's to grant freedom. That's what forgive means. So here's a definition we can work with for today as it comes to our family. Forgiveness is a choice to free a person from the debt they incurred when they injured you. Okay, we come back to what Jesus said. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. He's not talking about finances, friends. He's talking about the fact that when you injure somebody, there is a debt that is incurred. Okay, so forgiveness is a choice to free a person from the debt that they incurred when they injured you. So let's speak about that debt for a minute. Oftentimes, what we want from people is payment because there's a debt. It only makes sense. You did this to me, so now you have to do this to get my forgiveness. Okay. Let's go to a story in Scripture that Jesus told that helps illustrate how wrong that viewpoint is. All right? I want you to go in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. And in Matthew 18, we see a great principle concerning reconciliation that just kind of lays the foundation for Jesus' parable. And so in Matthew 18, at verse 15, it talks about how we are to forgive a brother who sins against you. So if you, at some point in time, want to go backwards, we're not going to go into this context yet, but it talks about the process of reconciliation when somebody has offended you. And in church, we have to talk about the Matthew 18 principle. So you're wondering what this thing is? That's what it is, all right? So now you know what the Matthew 18 principle is. But after he gets done talking in context about reconciliation and broken relationships, he tells a parable. And Jesus always told great parables to bring home his point. 
And this is the parable titled of the unmerciful servant. Let's read it. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell to his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. So looking at that phrase, that's what forgiveness really is about when we think about the biblical concept of debt. All right, Canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, and look at the words, exactly the same words the servant used with the king, right? Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. And instead, he went off and had the man thrown to prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger... His master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. How many know there are times when you read Scripture and go, man, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? It's like, man, we're not off the hook on this thing. Let's unpack this a little bit. Because sometimes we get lost in, the, in, in, in understanding some of this, the talents and denarii. What is this all about? So let me kind of break it down for you, all right? One denarii was a day's wage, okay? It took 6,000 denarii to make one talent. This man owed 10,000 talents. So to help you understand what 10,000 talents means... It would take him 164,383 years to work off this debt at a denarii a day. So what's the point? In fact, in today's uh, economy, a day's wage multiplied by that amount of years would be $7.2 billion. Okay? So the debt this man had was basically immeasurable and no way for him to pay it back. Now, you might think to yourself, well, why would a guy loan somebody that much money? Don't get hung up. See, parables, you don't want to go in and try to exact every detail out of a parable. The point is, this was a large debt, impossible in human abilities to pay back. Even if he was thrown in prison and all of his kids, they would still not even touch a portion of this debt. Okay, so you get the idea. Humongous debt. 7.2% billion in today's economy all right now the other servant once he was released from that debt and he returned to his friend the friend owed him what it said basically a hundred denarii all right that would be a third of a year's wage okay so in our common currency today that would be about fifteen thousand dollars 
still a debt. I mean, it's a lot of money. You're going, I, I, I could use $15,000, right? But $15,000 in comparison to $7.2 billion is nothing. I tried doing the calculations on that. It's like you can't even hardly make a percentage point of the difference between those figures. I mean, it's like 0.000000000 way down here. Then there's a number, okay? You get the idea. This is a small percentage of the debt that man was just forgiven of. So we glean some things from this parable. And the bottom line summary is this. Forgiveness is not to be measured or counted, but given freely. That's the bottom line of what Jesus is really trying to say. It's not to be counted. It's not to be measured. It's to be given freely. You're going, but that sounds too easy. Am I not letting somebody off the hook by doing that? You need to think about how God forgave you. What conditions were applied to his forgiveness of you? How much of the hook do you want off of when it comes to God's forgiveness? We love it when it applies to God's forgiveness toward us, but it's hard paying that forward, isn't it? It's difficult. Let's break it down. What are some things he's trying to show us in this parable? He shows us, firstly, that excusing our unforgiveness or trying to limit our forgiveness is inexcusable. So you have Peter come to Jesus. Hey, got a question for you, Lord. How many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? You ever thought about that yourself before? Maybe you've said to a friend, how many times do I have to forgive this person for what they've done? And Peter goes on to say, up to seven times. Now, here's the thing you don't understand maybe about this. Peter thought he was being generous. In the Jewish culture, the rabbis would teach you forgive a person three times. That must have been baseball fans. Three, three strikes, you're out, right? You give them three chances, and then it's done. You don't forgive them anymore. So Peter took three, added three, plus one, and thought, hey, I'm, I'm being really generous. And what does Jesus do? He flips the math on him. Now, don't take Jesus' statement literal. It's not about the math. 70 times 7, 490. It's not about that. It's about forgiving without measure. Those numbers are a perfect number. Okay? It's about perfect forgiveness. There is no counting. There is no number applied. And often the need to forgive is more apparent in others than it is in our own life. Because we've often seen somebody who's burdened with bitterness. You, you kind of say, man, you need to just forgive them and move on. Or, or you need to just let it go. And you can see it real easy in others, can't you? But it's so hard to see in yourself. So here are five of the most common excuses that we give for not forgiving. And maybe you've used some of these. And these are like your excuses to get around it. The hurt is just too big. The hurt is just too big. I cannot forgive. The hurt is just too big. How big was that guy's debt? How much did that master have to forgive of his own resources? Again, we're not going to go to the math on this, but it's, it's large. And the assumption is, if it's bigger, I can't forgive. But wouldn't you want to flip that on the head, really, and say, if it's a bigger burden, it's all the more necessary that I forgive. So using the answer, it's just too big, I can't forgive. No, the truth is, the bigger the hurt, the more we need to forgive. In fact, as I've already said, forgiveness is never more real than when it's given in the midst of real pain. Jesus, on the cross, bleeding and broken for all to see, Father, forgive them. In the moment of his greatest pain, he's forgiving. So you can't say, the hurt's just too big. Or you can't say this, I just need more time. 
I just need more time. Time will heal it. Can I just tell you this? When it comes to, to emotional wounds, time heals nothing. Let me tell you what happens. You scar. Just like your physical bodies do. You get cut. It will heal, but what's it leave? A scar. When it comes to our emotions or, or relational emotion, time doesn't heal it. It scars. But here's what you know to be true. As soon as that name is mentioned or that event is touched on, it is just like you're in that moment all over again. That's not forgiveness. Time does not heal. That wound opens up immediately as soon as that is mentioned again. I'll forgive when they come and say they're sorry. How many of you have used this one? When they come and say they're sorry, then I'll forgive them. Okay, we're, we're, we're mixing up two points here. Forgiveness is given freely. But you know, I, know you're, I know what you're thinking, but you're letting them off the hook. Okay? There's a difference between reconciliation and forgiveness. Okay? Forgiveness is something that we give. The Father gave it to us, and you go, yeah, but the Bible says if we, forgive our, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Yeah, it's true. Reconciliation demands confession. But did God already extend forgiveness to all of us, regardless of how we choose to respond to it? Yes, but you have to respond to it. Reconciliation happens when you take it on. So when it comes to us, we forgive, regardless of their apology. Reconcil- now, here's what I mean. What I'm trying to say is the person who offended you, it's great when they own responsibility and come back and apologize. But what if that never happens? Some of you, the person who offended you is now dead. How are you going to reconcile with them? How long are you going to hold on to unforgiveness because they can't make it right with you now? You see the difference? You may not find that reconciliation, but you cannot carry that unforgiveness around because we have to choose to forgive on the front end. And this is what's hard about this because we don't want to extend forgiveness. We want conditions. We want when they, then I will. Another excuse that's commonly said is, I can't forgive if I can't forget. I can't forgive if I can't forget. Again, this is conditional forgiveness, but the reality is that you will never forget. Isn't that true? When somebody hurts you, you're never going to forget. There's something about our human mind that allows us to hold on to those things. But here's what happens. When you remember, what are you choosing to do? Are you choosing to say, you know what, I have forgiven that person of that. Eventually, God may give you an ability to, quote, forget what happened. But in the meantime, when it comes up, you forgive all over again. You may not forget. You may never forget. But when you remember, are you going to forgive? Or you say this, I'll forgive, if, I'll forgive but they'll just do it again. And maybe you've dealt with that. I've forgiven them 20 times. I, I'm more generous than Peter was. I keep forgiving them. You know, those fears are reasonable, especially when dealing with family, because it's really hard to avoid family, especially when they live with you. But here's something that you need to understand. Forgiveness does not mean you have to put yourself at risk with them. It's one thing to forgive what somebody has done. It's another thing to safeguard yourself from being hurt again. Okay? That's not unforgiveness. That's creating safe boundaries for yourself. Don't put yourself at risk. Don't, don't enable. Well, if I forgive, that's just enabling them. No, that, that, don't enable them. 
Don't put yourself at risk. Don't rescue. If I, just, if I do that, it just rescues them. No, there's consequence, and they need to feel that. The honest truth is when your kids or when your spouse hurts you, there are natural consequences for what they have done. You're not freeing them necessarily from the natural consequences set into motion, but you do need to choose to forgive them. I know that gets messy when we start talking about that because there are, and I've told people this before, when we transgress laws that happen in our nation, there are natural consequences. The police aren't just going to say, oh, we forgive you. You've confessed to God. That's good enough for us. Go, Go be free. No, there's natural consequences. The same thing happens in relationships. And you need to understand part of that is creating boundary to protect that for you and for your family. But the consequence of unforgiveness is to fear. And this is the next point we can learn from this. The consequence of unforgiveness is severe. When you decide not to release a person, but instead to nurse that injury and harbor resentment, then look out for some major consequences. I mean, I don't even have time to go into the medical field, but they have already proven over and over and over again, been validated by several different sources, that when we harbor unforgiveness in our heart, it affects us physically. Our health decreases And so there are already very physical reasons why it is severe. But I want to move forward beyond just the physical. Because you can see it so clearly in the unmerciful servant story. You look at the interaction with his friend. And and they must have been pretty good friends at some point. I mean, would you have to have a pretty good friendship to loan somebody $15,000? You're not going to walk to the street corner and see the guy holding cardboard inside and say, here, I'm going to loan you $15,000. Generally speaking, it's somebody you know. They must have had a pretty good relationship. But imagine how good the relationship was when their friend is now throttling him. How good's that relationship going, right? It has consequences that become severe. There is relational harm that takes place when there is unforgiveness in our hearts. And most people know that unforgiveness leads to relational fallout, which it does, and you've felt that in your family, and bitterness. But you also know that unforgiveness leads to stupidity. It leads to stupidity. I mean, think about it. Why would the man throw his friend into prison? How quick is he going to pay him back in prison, right? Why not instead say, hey, I was just forgiven a whole lot. A whole lot. Which means I'm not indebted to pay that back to that person, which means I have margin to absorb the debt that you owed me. What if he forgave as he was forgiven? Would their friendship be strengthened or would they be at odds with each other? Or maybe even just consider this. If he had to have the money, why couldn't they create a plan together? Friend, I love you. I care about you more than your debt. Let's figure this thing out. And said he did something stupid and threw his, choked his friend and threw him into jail until he could be paid. And guess what that led to? His own demise, which always happens with unforgiveness. You've been forgiven greatly, and when you withhold that forgiveness, it leads to your demise. What else happened? The... The servants who observed what happened could not stand what this servant did and reported it to the king. Be prepared that if you're going to be an unforgiving person, people aren't going to want to be around you. Maybe you know somebody like that. They're hurt, they're bitter, and you're like, I don't want to go spend time with that person. They just suck the fun right out of anything in our conversations. You know what it's like. But here's the thing maybe you're not considering too. Watch out for how unforgiveness works in your household because when you have unforgiveness toward one member in your family it begins to fracture relationships with other members of your family 
And maybe you have felt that. Something happened between two of you, but it's impacted broader than just the two of you in your family. It creates fractures. It creates struggles in the health of your home. And the effects of unforgiveness are eternal. So yeah, they're, they're, they're severe, but here's why they're so severe. Ultimately, they are eternal. Like bring you back to Matthew 18.33. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your, fa- your brother or sister from your heart. So first of all, unforgiveness is definitely torture. If you refuse to forgive those who injure you, your life becomes a massive torture chamber where nearly every human encounter, every situation you face passes through this grid of your own unresolved pain, which means nothing will look favorable for you ever when all you do is interpret it through the lens of your own pain and bitterness and unforgiveness. And if you go through life like an umpire and you're keeping score and recording all the wrongs, every offense, then your time on earth is going to be very miserable. But Corinthians talks about love, doesn't it? And it says this about love. It keeps no record of wrongs. Does that kind of love dwell in your heart, the love of God? Because it doesn't keep record of wrongs. And notice also the consequences of unforgiveness are experienced not only in this life, but also in eternal life to come. Look at this verse. It's a parallel verse in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, on the screen for you. Listen to these words. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, this is a much debated passage of Scripture. Because it sounds like we have a way to earn our forgiveness. If I forgive somebody, then I deserve God's forgiveness. That's the improper way to view this. The best way to view this is when God has so forgiven us, how can we not extend that to people around us? Again, we like how it feels for us. But don't you think the person who's offended you, they would feel the same relief and joy if they were forgiven? It has eternal implications, friends, in your relationship with God. You know what it's like to harbor unforgiveness in your heart and feel like you are distanced from God, and that is why it happens. It creates a very weird tension between you and the Father that you do not want to experience when you harbor unforgiveness in your heart toward others. And unforgiveness is the poison that you drink, believing that it will hurt the other person. But in reality, it is only you who will suffer from unforgiveness. The person who over a lifetime refuses to forgive ultimately reveals that he or she never really comprehended God's forgiveness or received it. Because if we have, how could we not give the same grace and forgiveness forward to those who have hurt us? In fact, our attitude toward others is an indication of our attitude toward God. So if I am not forgiving people as I should be forgiving, what does that show about my heart toward God? The love of God in my heart. It's not a very good picture. So, as we come to a close, quickly, how do families forgive? How do we do that? How do I know if I've really forgiven? Okay, let's look at this very briefly. Ephesians chapter, let me flip the page here. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Listen to this verse. 
Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. One more verse that shows us the parallel forgiveness. As God forgave us, so we should forgive, right? Well, one of the things that we can discover about forgiveness is this, is that damaging emotions are eliminated. Right now, in your home, there may be some of these damaging emotions, or in your family group, beyond the home, there may be some of these. Bitterness, which is that irritable state of mind. Uh, It's being uh, harsh, and you know what bitter people are like. You probably bumped into them. Maybe they live in your house. Maybe they live in your family. There's wrath, which is this idea of a deeply settled indignation. It's, it's like a, a furnace in the heart that right beneath the surface, they're always brooding. They're always angry. Um, there's anger, which is that temporary outburst of what you feel inside. It's the broken window. It's the slammed door. It's the hand through the sheetrock. Clamor. It's that noisy public expression that you want other people to know what you're going through. It's the public statement of how bad this person is. And we love to air that in social media. Many people do. Along with slander, calculated words to injure and humiliate. There's malice, every inclination of the mind, uh, evil I should say, an evil inclination of the mind or a bad-heartedness. So if these are in your home, any form of these are in your home, your home is doomed. It's doomed. But when forgiveness becomes the culture of our house, then these damaging emotions begin to decrease and are eliminated. And instead, healing efforts are renewed. If you look at verse 32, it starts off by saying, so be kind one to another. Be kind isn't just be kind to those who are kind to you. No, the real understanding of this is being kind without reservation to the very people that you had to forgive. Forgiveness means not only do I forgive them, but I can actually treat them like humans. I can be kind to them. Where the capacity to show kindness is lacking, then you know that forgiveness is still an issue there. But when you're ready to, this next step, healing attitudes, healing attitudes are restored. We begin to see that happen when forgiveness takes place. And the word tender-hearted that we see, tender-heartedness is a willingness to feel the pain of another person. And when you're mad at somebody, you don't want to step into their pain. You're not searching for the motivation, but how many of you before when somebody's offended you and you've had some time to look at it, you've kind of put yourself in their situation and went, oh, I see what's going on. Isn't it true that when people are hurt, they hurt other people? And when we begin to have a tender heart toward them, we begin to understand maybe their side of the story. When we're so hurt and involved in our own pain, we don't care what's happening in their side of the equation. But if we can apply tenderheartedness to the way our child is disrespecting us, or the way our husband or spouse is talking to us, or what our brother-in-law or sister-in-law or mother-in-law or whatever, we begin to say, God, there's something going on. Don't help me get so focused on my pain that I miss what's really going on here. Give me a tender heart to understand. And when you can feel that way, then forgiveness is well on the way. And here's the final piece about this, why it's so important for your home. Christ's example is elevated. Christ's example is elevated. Just like Christ forgave you. Ephesians challenges us that way, and of course, so does Jesus. 
forgive as you have been forgiven. Just as fast, just as freely, just like Christ, that's the way that we're commanded to forgive. And when we do that, we never more look like Christ. I mean, that is the example of Jesus in forgiving. And if you approach that member that has a debt against and you say to them, I forgive you. Be prepared for how disarming that will be in a relationship as you move forward. And remember that forgiveness is best expressed right in the midst of real pain. I know that's hard for us again to understand. When I'm hurting, I don't want to forgive, then that's what we need to shift in our culture. Isn't it great that God is quick to forgive? That's grace. That's mercy. Grace is giving somebody something they don't deserve. Mercy is when you choose to withhold something they truly do deserve. Does grace and mercy dwell in your hearts? Because those are key components to forgiveness. And here's the bottom line. There are no enduring homes without forgiveness. A house divided against itself will what? Will fall. When Jesus touched on that principle, yeah, it wasn't about unforgiveness in in, in the household, but that principle is true, isn't it? A divided house will fall. It will not stand. And there are no enduring homes without forgiveness. And I have seen home after home and family after family broken, separated, fractured because of unforgiveness. And it doesn't have to end that way, friends. It doesn't. A key to healing families begins with forgiveness. And I'm sure that you have dreams for your family, and you will never realize those dreams without forgiveness being part of the culture of your home. Here's the good news. You can forgive, and God wants to help you. So it's time to forgive, and it's now. And it starts with a decision of our will. There is a point of forgiveness. There's two steps. One's called the crisis of forgiveness, and that means when you actually come to that point, it feels like a crisis. And in that crisis of forgiveness, when you could use revenge, you choose instead forgiveness. That's a decision of your will, friends. You're never going to feel your way into forgiveness. Let me just tell you that right now. You're never going to feel your way there, but you have to will your way there. Forgiveness. It's a crisis of forgiveness. And the second step then is the process of forgiveness. That's that working out of forgiveness. That means I'm not going to hold this against this person. I'm not going to speak about it again. I'm not going to hold this within myself and nurse my pain. And I'm not going to bring it up to other people. And that is the process of forgiveness. And that takes some time to perfect, trust me. But the crisis should be moment. A decision of your will to act in a way that seems so contrary. And here's the thing. It is counterintuitive. You're not going to think, oh, I should forgive. But we're never more like Christ than when we choose to step into that position first. Let's pray. Father, I know that in this moment there are those who are even hurting today as we talk about this. Because when we talk about unforgiveness in family, they have faces and names attached to this topic. 
And I know that even bringing this up, it, it, it brings up emotion. There's anger. There's, I can't believe he's saying that. God, I just pray you'd help us right now to take evaluation of where that is coming from in our hearts. Because certainly our selfish nature, our sinful desires are going to want to be to get even, to exact payment, to get revenge. And that is a part of the corrupt nature of who we are. So Father, I just pray they would check the motivation of that. And God, I pray that your forgiveness toward them would compel them to extend forgiveness to that family member who hurt them. And I pray this would move to action steps today for them. Not waiting for an apology, but stepping into that tension with forgiveness. And God, I just believe the outcome of that will be powerful. Will be powerful. And I know we as humans can't control the outcome. All we can do is obey and offer forgiveness. How that is dealt with, how that is treated, God, we we know that's out of our control. But the one thing we can choose to do is to extend it. So I pray for that, for the strength and power, the energy to do that, that only comes from you at work within us. Let us be people of your grace and mercy who will be quick to forgive and thus bring healing and wholeness to our homes, to our families, to our marriages. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Oak Creek Christian Center's podcast. We are located in Albany, Oregon at 5775 Southeast Columbus Street, just south of the Mennonite Village. Please join us Sunday mornings at 10 for our weekly worship service. For more information, please visit our website at www.oakcreekcc.org.